0: I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and welcome to Paranormal Almanac. That's right, I'm your host Kurt Sandvig and on this edition of Paranormal Almanac, let's take a dive back into a topic that got me a bunch of hate emails, a bunch of I pray for your soul emails, and a bunch of that episode scared the hell out of me emails. But first, before I get the shout outs, let me just explain why the podcast has been coming out or these episodes, past couple episodes have been coming out just a little bit too late. Well, I've got a day job. As much as I don't want to have one, I have one. And that day job has been kicking my ass recently. I worked 60 weeks, or 60 weeks? I worked 60 hours last week, 60 hours the week before. uh, Trying to do that and this, it got to be a little bit much, but technically I have not missed a week yet. And I don't want to, you know, jinx that, but uh, we got to get another episode out. And that's this episode right here, so let's move on with shoutouts. That's right, we got shout-outs to Aaron, Aaron, Angie, Ariel, Austin, Autumn, Brody, Seth, Carolyn, Chuck, Dan, Daniel, Devin, Dill, Drake, Edgar, Elliot, Erica, Aaron, Fabian, Harley, Heidi, J-Mark, Jade, Jamie, oh, Jaime, damn, I almost screwed that up, Jaime, Jason, Jeff, Jenny, Jennifer, Jerry, Jim, Joe, John, Joshua, Joshua, Kelsey, Kenny, Kira, Kyle, Laura, Laura Rutho, Laura McCune, hey, Lauren, Lawrence, Leo, Lindsay, M. Caballero, Maggie, hey Maggie, Michaela, Martin, Matt, Matt, Megan, Megan, Milo, Nanashi, Nick, Pablo, Peaches the Cat, I love you, Rachel, Reed, Richard, Rosa, Sage, Sarah, Sarah, Shelley, Suzanne, Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson, Travis, Trey, Troy, Veronica, and Vincente. Welcome to all the new patrons. I've got a bunch of stuff for you guys that I've got to get out. I just need some time to actually get it out to you. Uh, I also have a bunch of patron messages waiting for me. Don't worry. I'm going to get to those and the emails and the Facebook messages. I'm slowly getting back to uh, normal here so I can actually start doing some stuff. I apologize for the delay for everything from responding and everything. So uh, if you've messaged me or emailed me or patron messaged me, I promise I will get to you very soon. Okay, with that, let's get over to a whole lot of paranormal news, and this isn't even everything. I actually have, I don't know, five or six more stories that I'm saving for the next week's episode, but there is a lot going on in Paranormal News. Paranormal news. Ladies and gentlemen,
1: this is Paranormal News.
0: Let's start with a turning point on UFOs. Physicist Michio Kaku, and if you don't know who he is, you really need to learn about Michio Kaku. He is incredible. But physicist Michio Kaku tells UFOlogy Conference, the truth is out there. For the often ridiculed followers of UFOlogy, the study of unidentified flying objects, there was a sense of validation when the celebrated physicist and author, Michio Kaku, took a break from his work on string field theory, to address the UFOlogy World World Congress here last weekend and offer some advice on how to behave aboard an alien spaceship. For God's sakes, steal something! That is his advice to you. Basically, he's saying, pocket an alien paperclip, an alien fork, even a bit of alien dandruff would yield useful chemical and genetic information to scientists. So if you do get abducted, you have the chance Please, for the love of God, steal something. Now they go on in this story to talk about what it is we're possibly seeing. Those little tic-tacs that the Navy pilots are seeing and everything like that. And Michio Kaku says, we know they fly between Mach 5 and Mach 20. That's 5 to 20 times the speed of sound. We knew they zigzag so fast that any pilot would be crushed by centrifugal force. That That they have no exhaust that we can see. He says, we don't know what they are. But maybe, just maybe, they are evidence of an advanced outer space civilization. Now, he's saying, could it possibly be a hypersonic um, drone by either China or Russia or maybe even the U.S. itself? He said, maybe. We know they're working on them, but maybe they are extraterrestrial. So, again, if you don't know the work of Michio Kaku, A, I would love to get him on the show, and I've been trying for a while. But B, you've got to look into this guy. This is a known, well-known physicist who actually keeps an open mind about the paranormal. And that's all I ask of anybody. Just keep an open mind. Nobody knows everything, so just keep an open mind. Okay, up next, Americans skeptical of UFOs, but say government knows more. Well, that's pretty obvious. This story is all about... 33% of U.S. adults believe that some UFO sightings over the years have in fact been alien spacecraft visiting Earth from other planets or galaxies. The majority, 60%, are skeptical, saying that all UFO sightings can be explained by human activity or natural phenomena, while another 7% aren't sure. And 16% of Americans say they have personally witnessed something that they thought was a UFO, while the vast 84% have not. So, it's a great study just looking into Americans and figuring out how many have seen a UFO, how many believe in UFOs, how many believe those UFOs are extraterrestrial, and just getting some data on it, on what we think now. I think it's really important to note that um, this is up 47% from 1996. So, the public are either starting to believe or have figured out that. Scientifically speaking, we're not alone. We ha- we can't be alone out there. So who's to say they aren't coming here? Okay, up next. Slightly over half of the people in the UK want to get us all killed by aliens, probably. It's a great title. So basically, slightly over half the people in the UK believe that if the Earth received communications from an extraterrestrial, then the human species should collectively act like a huge dumbass is what this author says, and respond. According to a University of Oxford poll, so basically what they're saying is just under two-fifths, which is 39.3% of those surveyed, chose a team of scientists to be in charge of the decision-making roughly three times more than those would pick elected representatives. And I gotta say, I'm I'm in that camp. I would much rather have top scientists deal with... UFOs or aliens or first contact than a president or a politician. Now, some 11% of the people said that there should be a planet-wide referendum. 12.3% preferred a citizens' assembly of randomly selected adults. And the remaining 22.6% did not know which system to select. Again, it's just showing the changing times about how we're thinking about UFOs, how we're thinking about aliens, how we're thinking about first contact, And how it wouldn't be the end of the world if the government said, aliens are real, we've already had contact, and here they are. Or if aliens just landed and said, yep, we're real, it would not be the end of the world. That whole, you know, religious apocalypse that everybody thought would happen, that's over. People are more inclined to believe or more willing to accept aliens and UFOs. Whether or not people think it's a good idea if we respond, well, as you saw from that author, as you heard from this author, not everybody thinks it's a good idea to respond. In fact, there's even some scientists that say, if we do get communications from aliens, that is 100% alien communication, we shouldn't respond because chances are they're more advanced than us and chances are they're going to invade and destroy us all. I hope that isn't the case. All right, keeping with the UFOs, the next story says, Navy withholding data on UFO sightings, a congressman says. A top Republican on the House Homeland Security Committee is accusing the Navy of withholding information about reports of unidentified aircraft after officially requesting more data on the mysterious encounters. Mark Walker of North Carolina, the ranking member of the Intelligence and Counterterrorism Subcommittee, asked Secretary Richard Spencer in July to outline what resources the Navy is dedicating to investigating the sightings. He also asked if officials have found physical evidence to substantiate the claims and whether they're aware of any foreign nations or private companies that have introduced breakthrough technology that could explain them. So now we have politicians working for us to find out more. Every politician that stands up and says, I want to know the truth is going to help us just by a little bit. Whether we ever get the truth or not, that's another question. But the more people asking the questions, the more top ranking people asking the questions, the better. Alrighty, Up next, scientists find significant amount of eel DNA in Loch Ness. People love a mystery. We've used science to add another chapter to the Loch Ness mystique, said team leader Professor Neil Gemmel, or Gemmel, I think it's Gemmel, a researcher with the University of Otago. Professor, that professor, I'll just call him Neil, Neil and his colleagues from the Loch Ness Center, the Loch Ness Project, and the University of Otago or Otago, the the University of Copenhagen, the University of Highlands and Islands, the University of Hull, and the University of Bangor, collected 250 samples of water from various spots in Loch Ness. E-DNA from each sample was captured, extracted, and sequenced, then compared against genome databases to reveal a comprehensive picture of life present in the lake, examining the bacteria, the fish, and everything else in between. Now, it keeps going on with all this mumbo-jumbo, science mumbo-jumbo. Basically, they think that the Loch Ness monster, Nessie, is not a monster— is a giant eel. And that's not the first time that this has been brought up, but this might be the first time that we're a little bit closer to saying it is definitely what it is. They're thinking 100% it's an eel. It's not a plesiosaur. It's not a shark. It's not a catfish. But we won't know. Well, at least we won't know until that uh, Loch Ness show comes out. Until then, we probably won't know. And in a companion piece... CNN did the exact same story. Scientists have made a discovery that might help resolve the mystery of the famous Loch Ness Monster in Scotland. But I just put that on here because I wanted to show you guys that multiple sources are checking in on cryptids, on UFOs, on aliens. But so far, no Bigfoot. Oh, but wait, because the next story is. North Carolina man claims he spotted... Three Bigfoots. Is it Bigfoots or Big Feet? Uh, the man recorded nearly 10 minutes of what he described as an encounter with three Bigfoots in the foothills. Doug Teague said he shot the video two weeks ago while retrieving game cameras he set up in a wooded area of McDowell County. Teague said he was walking back to his truck with his dog, Crazy Daisy, when the encounter happened. A rock was thrown. My dog chased it. I just kind of stopped, took the phone out, and gazed the hill. He said that's when he spotted three different Bigfoots watching him from a hill. He said he recorded about 10 minutes of video during the encounter, and he shared a snippet of it with NDC Charlotte. I was like a giddy school kid, he said, just nervous, heartbeating. it was crazy. Now, he's a member of the Catawba Valley Bigfoot Research Club in McDowell County. The county's considered a hotspot for Bigfoot sightings, though the path leading to this larger-than-life creature often goes cold, it says. Scientists argue that there is no evidence Bigfoot, nah, bullshit, and consider it a myth, bullshit. There's probably a lot more evidence than people realize. People hide it. They don't want people to ridicule them. I'm kind of with them on that. Hopefully, that kind of ends. Let me see if I can play the video for you. There we go. All new
1: tonight at 6, social media is buzzing after a Hickory man says he captured something amazing on his cell phone camera, video of Bigfoot.
0: Yeah, He recorded this video in McDowell County where several people reported seeing the creature over the years. NBC Charlotte's Brandon Goldner spoke to the man who described his experience. Despite the
1: signs outside his Hickory home, crazy. Doug Teague and Crazy Daisy strayed away from the wooded trails in McDowell County. He was grabbing some cameras he had set up, hoping they recorded images of a longtime fascination, Bigfoot. As he was walking back to his truck. Then a rock was through. She chased it. I just kind of stopped, took the phone out, gazed the hill, kept looking. He's still up here. Not just one, he says three different Bigfoot um, stared at him from the hill. This is just a snippet of 10 minutes of video Teague says he recorded. He's moving. Oh, just describe to me that moment, just emotionally. just Like sweet. a school, a giddy school kid. This the- nervous, heart beating, just, it was crazy. He's a member of the Catawba Valley Bigfoot Research Club. McDowell County is considered a hotspot for these sightings, though the path leading to this larger-than-life creature often goes cold. Scientists say there's a logical reason for this. There's no evidence Bigfoot exists. Bullshit. Teague disagrees. They're real. They're there. As does Vicky Cook. Because oh, it went in front of my camera. Earlier this summer, she shared this grainy video taken outside her Cleveland County home. Screamed, I didn't know what it was. I didn't I see it was Tall with big feet to boot both cook and teague took casts of the creature's feet there's probably a lot more evidence than people realize some will scoff but others like cook teague and even his granddaughter he's moving he's moving he's moving believe in catawba county i'm brandon goldner nbc charlotte
0: all right so that's a very cool story i'm gonna throw that video up onto uh, facebook as well i gotta say it's behind it's you know through the woods it's behind a tree it's not 100 percent clear But that being said, it doesn't really look like a bear to me because that's usually the most common thing is that people see bears walking on two legs. They immediately go, oh, my God, it's Bigfoot because bears can't walk on two legs. We all know that's not true. But looking at this video, it looks like a gorilla. Basically, it looks like he's looking at a gorilla behind some trees. It's got that big slope forehead, which, you know, sounds more like a Bigfoot than a bear to me. But. I definitely want to see the full 10 minutes. I'm going to see if I can find that as well. I'll throw that up on Facebook. But any story where someone can see Bigfoot, I'm all about. Okay, this next story is telescope detects 100 mysterious radio signals from 3 billion light years away. A telescope in China has detected 100 mysterious radio pulses from 3 billion light years away. The fast radio bursts... Were detected by the 500-meter aperture spherical radio telescope, also known as FAST, and are currently being analyzed to discover how they were generated, according to Chinese publication Jinhua. Fast radio bursts are bright pulses of radio emissions, mere milliseconds in duration, thought to originate from distant galaxies. Theories for how they are generated range from highly magnetized neutron stars blasted by gas steams, blasted by gas steams from a nearby supermassive black hole to signatures of technology developed by an advanced civilization. The FAST team were studying a fast radio burst source known as FRB-121102, first spotted in 2015. The researchers have detected more than 100 bursts from that same place since late August, the largest number yet discovered. Now, earlier this month, telescopes discovered a large number of repeating fast radio bursts, and scientists hope to trace the origins of the mysterious blasts. We're finally getting these signals from space. They're also repeating because that FRB-121102 has had a hundred bursts since last August. What we used to have where it was just one radio burst can't be explained. Now we're starting to see more and more and more. It's a fascinating story. I'm going to keep my eye on this one as well. Obviously, anything I hear, I'm going to pass on to you guys. Okay, the last story in paranormal news Asteroid, which wiped out dinosaurs, exploded with the force of 10 billion atomic bombs. Is this really paranormal? Not at all. But it is incredibly cool. The fact that we now know how devastating it really was is incredible. And that's very important because, as you guys know, we have asteroids and space objects and that umau mau thing flying by Earth all the time. We get hit again. We're not going to survive 10 billion atomic bombs. Okay, let's take a quick break, then jump into this podcast like a demon jumps into your body. We'll be right back. Okay, we are back. Who's we? Me and Stitch, or me and a demon in me? Who knows? But like I said at the beginning, the last episode I did about possessions got a lot of people worried about me. They said, listeners, that's they, they said that me talking about possessions is opening myself up to them. So, let me say this little statement. I do not want or need a demon possessing my body. I do not get permission for any demon to possess my body. I have enough problems so demons look elsewhere. Because I don't have the popularity or the status to help you in any way, shape, or form. And basically, just like taking naps with Stitch and relaxing. I do not need a demon. I got enough problems. Okay, with that said, let's take a look at a few more possessions. And on this one... Let's also take a look at possible possession cases that resulted in real people's tragic and most time brutal deaths. So consider this your parental warning. This episode is probably not for younger listeners. In a little bit, I'm going to be talking about a lot of very sad, very brutal deaths that were supposedly because of the devil or possession. First up is Arnie Cheyenne Johnson, who is a 19-year-old guy living with his fiancé and her brother, her younger brother, in Brookfield, Connecticut. Now, Arnie's case is known as the Demon Murder Trial, so let's get to that first. Because shortly after 6 p.m. on February 16, 1981, Arnie repeatedly plunged a 5-inch pocket knife into his fiancé's boss-slash-landlord's chest. Then, at his trial, Arnie pleaded... Pleaded, pled, pleaded, not guilty because he he says he was possessed by a demon and it was the demon that killed the boss, not Arnie. The defense then went on to say that the demon not only possessed Arnie, but it first possessed David Glatzel. That was the 11-year-old brother of Johnson's fiancee I was talking about earlier. Now, he was living with the couple prior to the murder. So now let's move over to David's possession. Remember, 11-year-old kid. So about six months before that murder I was just talking about, David awoke in the night. Now he was crying and he said he was visited by a hideous creature. He described it as being a man with black eyes, big black eyes, a thin face with animal features and jagged teeth, pointed ears, horns and hooves. Hooves, not hoofs. come on Kurt, hooves. So either he was visited by a demon Or it was a case of sleep paralysis. Now the demon said one word only to David. Beware. After this, the demon would knock things over. David would hear disembodied voices. Noises would come from the attic. And every time David told his family the demon was there, they would find deep scratches appear on the front door of the family's home and also on David's body himself. David said the demon said he was there to take David's soul. David began to see the demon while he was awake after a little while. Now, he claimed it would appear as an old man with a white beard dressed in a flannel shirt and jeans, which, frankly, doesn't sound too scary or paranormal to me. Now, if all of a sudden an old man with a white beard dressed in a flannel shirt and jeans just like popped into existence right next to me, yeah, it's kind of scary. But if David is just seeing some old guy with a flannel shirt, like, relax just a little bit. Now, David's sister, Debbie, that's the fiance I was talking about earlier, said that David never had any interest in the paranormal and, quote, he never liked anything spooky, not even scary comic books. So they had a priest visit the house and he spoke with David. Now, the priest blessed him and then blessed the entire house, but all that did was seem to piss off the demon. In fact, it made things worse to the point where David would be possessed nightly and the family had to take turns keeping an eye on David at night who would wake up every 30 minutes having seizures. David also began to hiss at his family and speak in multiple voices. Now, I want it known right here. They say multiple voices, not languages. Just voices, like high pitches, low pitches, weird pitches, whatever. Again, spoiler, I cannot find one documented case of possession where someone was actually speaking a different language they didn't know and speaking it fluently, not just repeating latin back to the priest or anything like that but anyhow back to david now david also randomly started to quote paradise lost why who knows did david ever read it doesn't say why was that a big deal no one really goes into it but they wanted it known that he would randomly start quoting from paradise lost so guess who got involved that's right ed and lorraine warren because of course they did now, Lorraine said she encountered a black, misty form, and she said, I saw a black, misty form next to him, which told me we were dealing with something of a negative nature. Now, throughout their visits, David made numerous references to murder and stabbings. Now, this is David. This is the 11-year-old. We're not even back to Arnie yet. I just wanted to keep it all clear for you because it gets kind of uh, muddled for a little bit. So you got 11-year-old kid quoting Paradise Lost, talking in funny voices, and telling everybody about murders and stabbings. Now soon, David started complaining that invisible hands were choking him and they found actual red marks on his neck. Right when he said, oh my God, I'm being choked or whatever, they could see the red marks appear on his neck. He said that he had the feeling of being hit. Okay, here's the hard part. Depending on where you get your information, most sites say that either the local diocese got involved and performed an exorcism, or that the Warrens, along with four priests, held three exorcisms on David, and they found 43 demons inside him. Also, that Arnie got more and more worried and said that he started to taunt the demons during the exorcisms to enter his body and leave the boy alone. Now, according to him and the defense, this is exactly what happened. Debbie said that for months after that, Arnie would go into a trance. She said he would growl and say he saw the beast. Later, he would have no memory of it. It was just like David. So David gets better. Arnie, he's getting worse. He's starting to act like David did. Then six months later, as you already know from the beginning of this story, Arnie killed the boss slash landlord while he, quote, growled like a beast. Now, if this wasn't weird enough for you, The defense called people from the neighborhood up to give testimony. And according to some websites, but still take it with a grain of salt. But according to some websites, the testimony from the neighborhood people said that they had seen an apparition with demonic eyes and beastly features. So could it uh, see this is the tough part about that one. Yeah, that's really weird that you could find people from the neighborhood that would give testimony on the record that they had saw something, an apparition with demonic eyes and beastly features. But they could have also been led by the defense. The story obviously got out real fucking quick. What happened with uh, Arnie and how he murdered or butchered that guy with a freaking five-inch pocket knife, saying he was possessed by a demon. So who's to say a couple of people that weren't 100% weren't uh, weren't asked to do testimony by the defense. Well, ultimately, the defense lost anyway, so it doesn't matter, and Arnie served five years for the murders. Now, there's no word on what happened to the demon possessing him after the murder, though. They never said, did Arnie wake up and he's fine now? They never said, you know, hey, David got the demon again. Nothing was ever spoken again about the demon. But the story became a made-for-TV movie called The Demon Murder Case, and it was starring... Kevin Bacon and Andy Griffith. They also had a book called The Devil in Connecticut. Now, I'll be honest, I've not seen the movie or read the book yet, but I'm very interested in both because, you know, it's Kevin Bacon. And plus, I'd just like to read this book. It's pretty weird. If it had just been Arnie, if David wasn't involved in this story at all, if it was just Arnie saying all of a sudden he got possessed by a demon and he started stabbing a guy, I really wouldn't put too much credence into the paranormal. I'm going to tell you a bunch of, uh, Tales very similar to that about people who did that. They said, oh, the devil made me do it. But this one with David, who was an 11-year-old, who didn't care about the paranormal, starting to freak out, saying he was going to stab and kill people, being possessed, having an exorcism happen. This one seems more valid than some of these on this episode. I can't 100% say that Arnie was possessed. I can't say what his mindset was when he stabbed that guy in the chest but it does seem weird. I gotta admit, this one seems a little bit more paranormal and a little bit more creepy than I would like. Alright, one weird story done. Let's move on to the next one. This one is about the Smurls family. S-M-U-R-L-S. The Smurls family. Now they're from Pittston, Pennsylvania, and this one takes place in the 70s. Or it starts in the 70s, I'll put it that way. The Smurls were a family of six. The folks, Janet and Jack Smurl, and four daughters, Dawn, Heather, and twins, Shannon and Karen. Now, Hurricane Agnes flooded their home in 1972, so the Smurls moved in, with, moved in to Jack's parents' duplex. So the very first paranormal thing they said happened was a strange stain on the carpet when they moved into the duplex. They said they moved in, the carpet was clean, then all of a sudden, there was a strange stain on the carpet. Alright, let's stop right there. Relax. You have four kids. Carpets get stained. Not only that, but if I clean my carpet right now, and I come back a month later, some of those stains come back. It's just carpet stain. It wasn't a demon. Alright, next they said their TV burst into flames. Okay, harder to explain, I guess, but I guess that happens. Next up, pipes would leak, and no matter what they tried, they couldn't stop them from leaking. Then the new sink and bathtub were scratched. Let's pause right there again. This could be paranormal or it could be the problems you get from living in an old home. Did I mention that this particular duplex, they lived in half of it and Jack's parents lived in the other half. This particular duplex was built in the 1800s. Now, so far, I'm not impressed with the paranormal parts of their story, but it does get a little better because in 1975, Dawn, who is the oldest daughter, began telling her parents she saw people floating around her bedroom. Okay, now we're talking. Now, I can't say that none of the other stuff wasn't paranormal because if you've listened to the Debbie Moffat episode, I, I should I should have said this a minute ago, but if you listen to the Debbie Moffat episode, they experienced the same stuff. Pipes bursting, things catching on fire, like weird stuff. I don't know if things caught on fire at Debbie Moffat, but weird crap happened all the time in that house that skeptics could say were just odd things, like a pipe bursting, stuff like that. Now, I 100% believe Debbie, so how can I say this isn't paranormal? Up until this dawn part about seeing floating people, though, I wasn't really convinced. All right, so then the entire family started hearing disembodied footsteps and unplugged radios would suddenly turn on and start blasting music louder and louder and louder. Now I'm thinking paranormal. The bedroom dressers would start opening and closing harder and harder, and also the family started smelling rotting flesh. Now skeptics, yes, I hear you on this one. Something could have crawled under the house and died. We don't know, but dead animals under the house can not explain this next part. So Jack, again, he's the dad, began to feel an unseen hand caress him. That's creepy. And the constant feeling that he was being watched. Okay, so now the family, who for some reason are still living there, I don't know how long it takes to fix the flood damage or whatever, but they're still in the house, and now it's 1985. That's right, 13 years after the flood, they've been dealing with these weird, paranormal, creepy, touchy, caressy things happening the whole time. Now, scratches began appearing on all of the family members. Not only that, but the walls would rattle, and the dog and Janet started levitating, which is fun if you know what you're doing, but not so much when it's a demon thing doing it. So I feel bad for the dog. That had to freak them out. Can't explain that one away. That's definitely paranormal as far as I'm concerned. Here's the other odd thing. Jack's parents, you know, like I said, they were living next door in the duplex, the combined duplex. So they had a shared wall. They often heard insults, screams, and other loud noises emanating from the family side of the duplex. However, nothing ever happened in their part of the duplex. Now moving on to 1986, guess who was called? That's right, two for two, it was the Warrens. Now Ed Warren said the Smurls are truly a family coming under a visual attack. The ghost, devil, demon, whatever you call it, is in that home. The Warrens called in an exorcist who, just like the last story, all it did was piss off the demon. During the time of the exorcism, several family members reported being sexually violated, and the whole family complained that the demons were making them feel ill. Janet said she had been sexually assaulted by the shadows she had seen. One of the twins, Karen suddenly fell ill and nearly died from some unexplained infection. Shannon, the second twin, also apparently was sexually assaulted by the demon as well. Now Janet and her mother-in-law had traces of beatings and bites all over their body. So basically it was an all-around fucked up demon situation. Again, another exorcism was tried. Didn't do anything but piss off the demon even more. Then a third one, was attempted, but this time with several priests as well as a group of parishioners from a local church. And this exorcism, it seemed to work. For a while anyway, it seemed to work because paranormal crap started happening again. It all quieted down to nothing. They had nothing happening. They were like, "Woof! all right, finally, this exorcism, the demon's gone, we're all good. And it started ramping up again. But this time, thankfully, the family got smart and got the hell out. All right, now here comes the bullshit part of this. So the Warrens seem to prompt the family on what to say and how to profit off the possession, including a book deal. And then the person that bought the house next never experienced anything paranormal. For those keeping count, that's just like the Amityville Horror House. And again... Guess who was connected to that one? That's right, the Warrens. Now, it seemed to be that the Warrens prompted the family during interviews, while they were out shopping the book and possible movie deal or TV deal, that's when they were kind of telling him what to say, how to profit off the possession. It doesn't seem like they were telling the family what to say prior to when they arrived. It wasn't like they got there and said, oh, I need you to say that you were sexually assaulted and I need you to say that the dog levitated. Nothing like that. So again, I am i can't prove it was fake, but I sure as hell can't prove it was real either. The Warrens investigated Debbie Moffitt. I 100% believe her. Something happened in that house. Back in the day, if something like that was happening, there weren't a hell of a lot of people you could call. So the fact that the Warrens were called for this one and the last one and Debbie Moffitt, that's just because they were the people that you called. I get that. I can't take a lot away. I don't really trust the the Warrens at all, but I can't say that because the Warrens were there, nothing paranormal happened. Now again, when the family moved away, everything went quiet. So was it connected to that house? And if so, how come the next person that moved in there didn't have any issues at all. How come Jack's parents on the other side of the shared wall, they never had anything happen? How come it seemed to be contained to the Smurl family and in one location? I don't get it. Now I can say, could it be not necessarily demonic possession but have anything to do with their kids going through puberty, especially the daughter going through puberty. Cause as we know that does spike some paranormal activity at that poltergeist activity does seem to be connected to girls going through puberty. Is it that again? I just don't know. There's enough family members that said individual stuff that corroborated the other family members that I don't think it was fake but I sure as hell can't prove it was real. Okay, up next is possibly one of the most famous killers who swore he did it because of the devil. Do I personally, Kurt, do I believe he was possessed? Nope, not even remotely. But because he is connected with the devil and being possessed and killing people, I wanted to add him to this episode. I personally don't think there's anything paranormal about him. His name is David Berkowitz, or as he's most commonly known, the son of Sam. Now, I'm not going to do a huge son of Sam, my favorite murder type beat for beat, what happened with him, but I'll give you a real quick backstory. It was New York, it was 1976. Sam Berkowitz murdered six people and wounded seven others. He shot them. And it wasn't until his admission into uh, Sullivan Prison. Oh, spoiler, he was found guilty because, well, he did it. But it wasn't until he was admitted into the prison that he really started talking about how he had joined a satanic cult two years earlier. No, I'm sorry, a year earlier in 1975. Yes, from the get-go, as soon as they caught him, he started saying that he was told to kill the people by his neighbor's dog. Yep, he said that the dog Demanded the blood of pretty young girls. Now, I love dogs, but that seems like a pretty seriously bad dog. All Stitch demands are belly rubs, walks, an occasional car ride, obviously whatever food I'm eating, and he'll bark every now and then during an episode, but he has never demanded the blood of pretty young girls. He went on to say that his neighbor Sam's black Labrador retriever, Harvey, was possessed by an ancient demon and that it, quote, issued irresistible commands that Berkowitz must kill people. Hey, you know what? David Berkowitz was a nut job. He had no telltale signs of possession. And in case I have to add it here, the dog Harvey was a normal, regular dog that didn't command anyone else to do anything stupid. He lived a life of a nice, Dog, regular, normal, everyday dog. Nothing demonic ever happened or ever was seen coming from Harvey, despite what some bullshit sites tell you. He was just a dog. David Berkowitz was just a nut job. So, again, I wanted to add this one on here, even though I didn't personally, or I don't personally believe, that he was ever possessed or that the dog was possessed. But, this leads me to people who all of a sudden commit horrible acts of cruelty and blame it on being possessed or blame it on the devil. All right, you ready? Let's settle in for some fucked up stories about horrible people. First up, April 1994. Nicholas Sogunro, Sogunro? Sogunro. I don't know. S-O-G-U-N-R-O. Sogunro of East Ham, East London, became convinced that his fiance was possessed by the devil when she refused to marry him. Because, you know, women don't have enough problems with men as it is, so let's, you know, invent some bullshit. So this dumbass, Nicholas, who can't take a hint, locked her in the bedroom and starved and beat her for 14 days. The only food he would allow her to have was communion bread and wine. Now, sadly, she died from this. Again, let me say say this very clearly. These next bunch of stories don't end happily. They're fucked up stories by fucked up people. Now, when Nicholas realized he had killed her, he tried for three days to resurrect her like Jesus. Then he hid her body in the back of a church for a year. He was jailed for only six fucking years. This fucking monster that, uh, you know, killed his girlfriend, fiance, whatever you want to call her, because she refused to marry him. He was only jailed for six fucking years. Okay. Now that you get what I'm talking about by the devil made me do it kind of people, here we go. Up next is John Jenkin from Cumbria, England, who started telling people his fears that he would kill his mother. This one's a little bit different. He was actually worried that he would kill his mother and he started letting everybody around him know. So he gets a little freaked out. He's really worried that he's going to kill his mom. He's not in this, you know clear state of mind he approached a van driver put his hands in the air in a surrender motion and cried i am armed but it's not in my hands jenkins then tried to end his own life by drowning himself in a river now that didn't work and he was discovered later that day smeared with his own blood after cutting himself with shells from the shore Not surprisingly, Jenkin was admitted to a psychiatric hospital. However, staff judged him as low risk and then eventually released him. Later that evening, he confessed to a uh, bunch of his friends that he was possessed by demons. He also said, I am the devil, I need to confess. No one believed him or attempted to stop him, sadly. And as you might have guessed, the following morning, Jenkin butchered not only his mother, but his mother and sister with an axe. What is it, Stitch? Do you demand the blood of pretty young girls? Yeah? All right. Maybe later. I got to do the podcast. Okay, so after the killings, Jenkin was found naked, crouched behind a bench, acting crazy. When a police officer asked John if he had taken anything, he simply replied, Lives. Obviously, he was arrested and it wasn't until his trial that they found that his sister Katie had confided in a friend that she was, quote, really worried about her brother the night before he killed her. She told a friend, quote, he didn't seem like her brother and he didn't look like her brother anymore. He was not really talkative. And then when he was looking at her, it was not John's eyes. It was almost as if it was someone else. All right, that one is a little different. That one I tend to believe, I mean, it could be just a psychotic break, but there does seem to be a little bit of demonic possession that could possibly be the reasoning behind that one. Okay, up next, January 1998. Charity Miranda, who was only 17 years old, was suffocated to death with a plastic bag by her mother and sisters after they did an unsuccessful exorcism on her. The woman had recently embraced Santeria, which Charity uh, completely resisted. She didn't want to join it. She didn't care about Santeria. That seemed to piss off the mom and the sisters. And when she developed the flu after resisting Santeria, her mother was like, yep, that's it. It's demonic possession and began the exorcism. The mother was found not guilty on grounds of insanity. Next up in July, 1996, five-year-old Brianne Spickard of Baldwin Park, Los Angeles. That's right. I'm going to talk about a five-year-old. So if you want to click the skip button, that 15 seconds forward button, do it twice so you don't have to hear what happens, okay? Okay, for those who didn't skip forward, five-year-old Brienne was beaten to death during an exorcism performed by her mother and two of her friends. All three of the women who were taking methamphetamines held the girl down and whipped her with the cheese board for two hours stripping away several layers of skin and eventually killing five-year-old Brianne. All three women were convicted of murder. Up next, December 8th, 1993, Farida Patel of Ilford, Ilford, East London, apparently started displaying various signs of demonic possession. Now, this was around the time her husband was having immigration issues. So again, a lot of stress on the family, a lot of stress on her, but people went, She's not stressed about the immigration issues, though. She must be possessed by a demon. So her family called in an exorcist, Muna Pai, or Mauna Pai, who, along with uh, Farida's sister and brother, performed an exorcism on her. Hey, Stitch, it's cool, man. Pai beat Farida with a plastic vacuum cleaner pipe and a walking stick for over five hours while reading from the Koran. Now, the attack was repeated over four hours the following day, but sadly, Farida died during that four-hour session. Next, in October 1993, Chung Ho of of Norwich, England, started to tell people her body had been invaded by spirits taking the form of snakes and worms, and that she actually asked her brother to perform an exorcism on her. Her brother, who definitely did not know what he was doing, started repeatedly stomping on her, breaking her ribs, lacerating her liver, causing internal injuries, and eventually killing her. Next, April 1997, Kira Kanhoto of Kitchener, Ontario, was killed by her mother and grandmother during an exorcism. The women felt that the child was the victim of a demon, and they tried to exorcise it by forcing Kira to drink vast quantities of water, so, death by drowning on that one, sadly. Also, in April 1997, five-year-old Amy Bernie of Staten Island was killed by her grandmother and her mother during an attempt to exorcise a demon that they believed caused Amy to have tantrums. A five-year-old that had tantrums. Ugh, these fucking people. So, they tied Amy down forced her to drink a mixture of ammonia, vinegar, cayenne pepper, black pepper, and olive oil. Then they taped her mouth shut to prevent her from spitting out the mixture. Sadly, because of that, she passed away. Up next is Jason Dalton, who is described as a quiet, normal guy, and he was an Uber driver. Now, he started freaking out when, according to him, his Uber app started displaying Satanic messaging, including a pentagram. Now, over the next month, Jason shot six people and tried to kill two others. When he was caught and interrogated by the police, Jason had only one response to every question. When the police asked, why did you pick up a bulletproof vest? Jason said, the devil made me do it. When they asked him, why did you pick up a gun that day? The devil made me do it. Why did you kill these people? The devil made me do it. And during his preliminary hearing, he made several verbal outbursts until he was dragged from the courtroom. And this was during one of the witnesses that he attempted to kill that was still alive. When she was giving her testimony, he started freaking out to the point where she started to cry. She was all scared and worried. They had to drag him out of the courtroom. He was found guilty. Next, in August of 1994, Hoda and Abir of Egypt punched their mother to death. The daughters claimed their mother was possessed by a jinn and said incomprehensible things. Those daughters were sent to a state mental hospital. May 1994, Lindsay and Janice Gibson were charged with killing their son. Now Janice had become convinced that she was God. She also convinced her husband that she was God. Janice first tried to expel demons from her two-year-old daughter by beating her in the face for ten minutes fucking hate this person. When Janice tried to exercise her husband's boss, that dude freaked out and called the authorities. Now the doctors refused to sign commitment papers because they thought that uh, oh, she's just a religious fanatic. It's no big deal. Again, she beat her daughter in the face for 10 minutes. Now the next day, Janice convinced her family and especially her 12-year-old son that they were all surrounded by demons and they fed them a hearty meal and then forced them to vomit the just-consumed food. So, she's a fucking whack job. Why her husband never stopped her? He's a fucking whack job. All right, so that 12-year-old son, well, she kicked him out of the house naked into the cold. Later, while her husband restrained the boy, Janice beat him repeatedly in the head with a concrete block. When police arrived, she shouted, He's already dead. We killed him, you stupid man, just like the first Jesus. Both her and her husband were found not guilty by reason of folie deux, which is a rare psychiatric syndrome or psychosis, particularly a paranoid or delusional belief that is transmitted from one individual to another. Fuck both of them. Okay, April 1996. So my Champagne of Udon, Thailand agreed to a ritualistic beating, Wait, before I get to that. So my Chapanya. Pretty sure I said that name right. I just want that on the record. Okay, back to the fucked up terrible story. Agreed to a ritualistic beating to her head and genitalia with a stingray tail by a shaman to exorcise evil spirits. After the exorcism began, she changed her mind, obviously, because that's a stupid thing to ask someone to do to you. And only to be abducted later by the same shaman who continued the ritual until she was dead. That shaman was charged with murder. Okay, well that's enough of that part of the episode. If you've been skipping ahead and skipping ahead because I keep telling you fucked up stories, you can stop for a little bit because I no longer have any more of those stories for this episode. Let's break it up though with a little Pope story for you. Now it comes from a video of Pope Francis greeting and blessing disabled people in Rome in May of 2013. So 2013, Pope Francis is there, he's blessing disabled people. When all of a sudden he stops at one boy in a wheelchair. He pauses, then he places both of his hands on the boy's head and then the boy starts, I don't know, shuddering or screaming or growling or grasping or gasping or whatever. But eventually he relaxes back into his chair. Now you can't really hear anything but organ music. But let's take a quick listen and then I'll throw this video up on Facebook page just to kind of see what you guys think. Is this an exorcism or is it just or is it just Pope Francis trying to bless a disabled kid? I don't know. It does seem like something weird is happening towards the end of it though. All right, Pope's there grabs his hand or puts his hand on this kid's head while he's shaking the other hand all of a sudden both hands are on the head you can kind of hear weird gaspy noises kid kind of sinks back into the wheelchair growling or something and then boom done moving on and he moved on to the next kid again all right that's enough with the morgan music in the background again i don't know what to think I don't know why everybody immediately said, oh, man, that's him doing exorcism. Just kind of looks like he paused and really focused on this guy or kid or whatever you want to call it in the wheelchair for a little bit. So take a look at that one on the Facebook page. Let me know what you think. Do you think it was an exorcism or do you think it's just um, Catholicism? I don't know. All righty. Finally, I found a bunch of online first-person exorcism accounts Now, as always, grain of salt time. But here's just a couple. I can't verify any of these. I found them online when I was looking for videos about exorcisms or stories from people who have actually had exorcisms. Okay, the first one says, Can a demon present itself in two different images at the same time for two different people? Question mark. When I was a preteen, we had three TVs, one on the TV stand that stopped working and two on the floor, one which worked one which worked, the other; one which worked, the other was for a camera we had pointed at the outside door to see who was at that door. You can probably guess why my parents did that, but it's not really relevant other than to explain why the third TV. Anyway, one night, I was home by myself reading. The lights were on, and since this was a single mobile home, basically the kitchen and living room were on one were all one room, just had one head tile, the other had carpet. When I looked into the reflection of the TV on the stand. I could see the kitchen and the living room. Now looking into the reflection, I saw a shadow just floating by the ceiling in my kitchen. My dad did have an old WB frog hanging from the ceiling, but when I tapped it and looked at the reflection, I saw the frog moving, but the shadow thing was staying still. It was just hovering there. All I know is that it was dark. I couldn't see through it, and it was bald. Like there was no hair, it was just this pitch black figure. I sat on the couch and stared at the reflection since I couldn't find what, it, what was causing it, and I thought I was going crazy. When my parents got home, I had my stepmom look at what I saw, and while we were both looking at it, me seeing what I saw the whole time, she saw a beautiful angel with flowing hair smiling at her. We saw two completely different images. My dad didn't see it at all. Since they had brought me home food, I had looked away and couldn't see it again after that. Although somehow that TV started to work again. I do have to say that my home did feel very oppressive at all times. My father was always angry. And while he was never physical with me, he scared me. My mother, my stepmother, was always emotional. And there were times when they were fighting that she would threaten to kill herself. I spent as much time away from my home as possible until I wound up moving in with my grandmother. Did we see a demon? Was one provoking my family? what was it that we saw? So not a possession, not an exorcism, but a very interesting possible demon sighting. The reason I put this one on there was that the mother was seeing an angel while she was seeing something the exact opposite. I thought that was really interesting. Okay, up next. I will admit that in the past, I dismissed possession as a nonsense and superstitious gibberish. That belief has changed much in the last few years to the point where I can only say that scripturally, doctrinally, and spiritually, it just makes so much sense for me and and I can't dismiss it any longer. Having said this, I've had a very, very odd story to share with you that happened to me just this evening. I often say, Novanas? I don't know. The rosary. I often say the rosary and a rosary towards the... Oh, I often say whatever that is. Novanas, I guess it's some prayer and a rosary towards the end of my work shift, if it's slow, if it's a slow end of the day, and on my walk home, if not. Today was a busy day. On my way home, I came upon a man. He was not exactly a well-put-together professional, but a far cry from a visibly crazy-looking or homeless person by any means. We crossed an intersection, and he arrived at the curb right before me, so I paused to let him pass. He seemed pleasant enough. While he was ahead of me, I took my rosary out of my pocket, and I swear at exactly the same time, he stopped in his track suddenly and faced me off. He just stared at me while I passed. He didn't do anything to me, nor say a word, so I tried to play it off. I live in Boston, so weird behaviors aren't that odd. He resumed walking, now he's behind me. I said the Our Father for the first joyful mystery I said the Our Father for the first joyful mystery, I don't know what that means, and he seemed more or less harmless, but I suddenly felt very threatened. Then I began my first bead. Bear in mind all of this silently. I'm not speaking out loud. Hail Mary. No sooner had I voiced this in my mind, he lunged behind me, let out an angry cry, and whipped the strap of the bag he had on his shoulder at me as hard as he could. The metal buckle left a stinging welt on my arm, that I can still see hours later. After this, he abruptly turned on his heels and walked calmly away, not even acknowledging me. I was too surprised by the sheer bizarreness that this man suddenly exhibited to even respond until I saw him calmly walking around the corner and disappear. My question is, was he possessed by an an entity enraged by my mention of the Blessed Mother? Was he just a crazy guy? Are the two actually different things? The sheer timing of the events, while admittedly coincidental on the surface, have caused all of this to stick with me to the point where I thought I would seek your advice and input. Shockingly, I didn't put the uh, responses, but shockingly, the responses were all fairly scientific, um, and seemed to lean towards there is a good chance that this guy was possessed by a demon, freaked out when she when she mentioned the first um, Hail Mary. It is an odd coincidence, but for me personally, that's all it is. It's just an odd person on the street. Look, I work in Hollywood. There are a shit ton of crazy people on the street. If they're all possessed, we got a serious demon problem in Hollywood because there's a lot of them. Okay, and lastly, while driving along and found a girl... Oh, was driving along and found a girl just standing in the middle of the road. My initial thought was to tell her to pay attention, but it was clear that while the lights were on, nobody was home. During my whole time with her, she never uttered a word. I was left in a weird situation. She had done nothing, clearly needed help, but medically, nothing seemed wrong. As I'm pondering what on earth I should do, the girl suddenly starts spinning. Now, spinning is not illegal, and I'm starting to think that this girl is one of those pro- those protesters that wind up the police. Oh, this guy's a cop, by the way. I've dealt with troll stations before, so I think... Crack on, spin to your heart's content. Then she loses her balance and falls whacking her head on the side of the police car. Great. So I call an ambulance, but she seems fine. Still not talking, but she is looking up at the sky. It's a really nice day, so fine, enjoy the sun, I thought. I do some writing and look back at her, and now she's bright red-faced and watering eyes and realize that she's trying to damage her retinas by forcing herself to look directly at the sun. Now that's a new one on me, so I'm holding It's new one on me now, so I'm holding a book or something above her to shield her eyes. The ambulance arrives and as we get to the hospital, she now has forgotten how to walk. Now I'm 99% sure she's a wind-up merchant, but I get her to a wheelchair. In the wheelchair, she strikes a quote I'm a little teapot pose and keeps this up for the next hour. I'm talking zero movement, just frozen with her arms out so I have three potential situations. One, she's present, she's pretending to be frozen in time. One, she is pretending to be frozen in time. Two, she is suffering from a mental health issue, that's what I'm leaning towards, or three, she has been possessed. By now, I'm convinced it's the latter. But I section her and leave her and leave her with the professionals. A week later, I call the hospital and they tell me she is still frozen. All right, so that's all the fun little stories I have for you guys. Before I go, though, I did want to tell you I tried to get a priest that has performed a number of exorcisms to be a guest on this episode. I actually tried two priests. Both of them said that their bishops said no and that they couldn't speak on the record about exorcisms or the supposed increased need for exorcist by the Vatican. One was very pleasant and just said, thank you for your offer. My bishop said, I cannot speak with you. You know, have a blessed day or something that effect. But the other one did mention right off the bat, without even me asking, I'm sorry, I can't speak on the record about exorcisms. I cannot speak to the increased need for exorcist by the Vatican. So I looked into it, and I think I had talked about this on a previous episode in one of the paranormal news, maybe the last exorcist episode, but there is Indeed, a lot of stories out there about the increased need for exorcists by the Vatican. Now, I got to say, I'm really kind of bummed because I was really looking forward to hearing firsthand from someone who had done quite a few exorcisms. I wanted to ask them, did they ever hear a person speaking Latin fluently or levitating or doing any of the crazy, the exorcist kind of stuff that you saw in that movie? I wanted to know What their thoughts were prior to exorcisms? Did they believe them? What changed their mind to become a believer? I really... What was the scariest exorcism? What was the youngest exorcism? The youngest person that they exorcised? I really, really wanted to spend some quality time with someone who had actually done it. But I guess until I can find a priest that will go on record, I guess that's it for this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac. But before we go what do you guys think of demonic possessions is it all mental illness I think a large percentage of the ones I talked about on this week's episode were mental illnesses and nothing more but a couple of them you can't quite explain by mental illness you can't say that mental illness um, you can't say that mental illness was passed from an 11 year old to a 19 year old they both exhibited demonic possessions and then he killed somebody that seems a little weird. There's a couple on here that I don't think that mental illness explains everything. I really don't. But what do you guys think? Do you guys think that uh, demonic possession is even real? Do you guys think that exorcisms are even real? Now, if you, I'll tell you right now. If you look up exorcisms on YouTube, 99.9% of them are the dumbest pile of bullshit you'll ever have to watch. But then there's a couple where you go... That one I don't know about. That one could be real. Now, I never, ever have I seen anybody levitating in a video, uh, an exorcism video on YouTube. I've never seen that. I couldn't find one video, like I was saying earlier, I couldn't find one video where someone started speaking fluently in a different language that they didn't already know or had learned or took classes on or anything. I couldn't find anybody speaking fluent Latin supposedly a lot of these priests say you know when I'm doing my exorcism if I say it in English the demon doesn't care but as soon as I start speaking Latin or Italian they start to cry and scream and freak out and and they seem to be exorcised if that's the case that's I mean that's really I, I don't know what I'm trying to say ultimately that's really interesting if that is the case why is English not important to a demon where Latin is? I mean, I know it's the freaking language of God back in the day, supposedly, but I have never found a video yet of anyone speaking a different language fluently. It just hasn't happened. Until I can find that video or recording or talk to a priest where it's actually happened, I just don't buy that part of it. And I think that part's bullshit. But what do you guys think? I hope you guys like this episode. I'm sorry again that it took so long to get this one out. I know it's a few days past due. I apologize. I'm hoping, fingers crossed, my work schedule kind of goes back to normal and I can actually start getting the episodes to you because I've got a lot of work to do preparing for episode 100, which is coming up very soon. Very soon. Scarily soon. Okay, once again, I am your host, Kurt Savig, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. stroke I'm here it's